All right, good morning, Victory City. So glad that you are joining back um, in with us this week. Just so excited to again bring you the Word of God. Um, it's just a blessing to continue to be able to bring you the Word of God. As you know, we are still um, working through the book of Matthew, and we have just a great opportunity to really see some amazing things that um, Jesus is saying to us through his Sermon on the Mount. As you know, we've just been reviewing the Sermon on the Mount to really get these strong, dynamic, biblical truths to be able to apply them. And as we have been going through this, we have seen on multiple occasions, right, that Jesus is exposing the misinterpretations of the law of the Old Testament that so many of the Jewish and religious leaders had during this time. And as he's exposing these misinterpretations, he's following it up with some real truth that people were probably having a difficult time grasping. But by doing that, he gives us the perfectly layered foundation for how we should guide and guard our lives. And so even with today's text, this is one of the ones that I would probably say we have a general familiarity with. But there is so much that can be learned from it. And it seems like such a simple text. But what God is showing us through Jesus in this text is so expansive and it gives us such a great understanding of what it means to have justice, not just in our relationship with one another, but also understanding what justice is in terms of our relationship with God. This is one of the texts I believe that people have thought that they understood, but have often struggled with. How many times have we heard when someone gets someone back for something that they've done or even discussed getting someone back? That they say, well, an eye for an eye. They say, well, a tooth for a tooth. But even the use of that word from the Old Testament law is a misuse of what God meant when he gave it. It, however, does have tremendous implications on our understanding of God, others, and justice. We will again see that the standard given by the religious leaders was much less than the standard God had originally intended through the law. And so today we will look in depth at what that means. So I hope that you're noting the title today, Still God, No Justice, No Peace. Turn me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard it that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for one more opportunity to share in the word. Lord, we thank you um, that you have given us clarity through your word. You have given us truth, but you've also given us revelation, God. And these are important truths that will help us guide and guard our lives in our relationship with you, God. I pray that you open our eyes and open our ears. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So Jesus begins here. He says, again, you have 
heard. We know that this is the standard when Jesus is addressing what they had heard in the Old Testament teaching and then correcting that misinterpretation. So in this case, what had they heard? This is what they heard. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, this is a particularly interesting text because their misinterpretation all the way back then was the same thing that we hear when we hear this text mentioned today. So the same misinterpretation that people had then is the same one that people often have now. And this is the misinterpretation. Whatever you do to me, I will do to you. Whatever you do wrong to me, I will repay to you. However you offend me will be repaid in vengeance and retaliation back to you. So it was a misinterpretation here solely based off the idea that one has independently right the responsibility to justly respond to offenses with equity. That one has the right within themselves to be the executor of the injustice that they think has happened in their lives, that they can be the one who responds to it. But this is the thing, though. By Jesus saying here, as we've mentioned many times before, you have heard is already telling us that this cannot be the case. And honestly, I can't think of too many occasions where God says, okay, they wronged you now, go get them. So if that isn't the way that this text should be understood, then what exactly is the law trying to communicate to us by saying an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? In order to understand it, let's take a peek back at Exodus 21. Exodus 21 verse 22 gives us a bit more context. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fine as the woman's husband shall impose on him and he shall pay as the judge determines. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Are we able here to see the meaning of this law? Is it becoming a little bit clearer for us by reading that text? It is given to make sure that whatever punishment one was assessed, that it actually fit the crime that one had committed. So it's making sure there isn't this overexertion of the law. There isn't this overexertion of justice by which there's a harsh, cruel punishment. Remember, we have this in our own legal system. You cannot have harsh, unusually cruel punishment that does not fit the crime that one has committed. So this law is given to make sure that if the crime was committed, that we have perfectly assess what the what the punishment for that crime should be again that's not how people interpret this people have read this and thought that this was actually advocating for violence and more particularly capital punishment in regards to what people have done but i think you can see here it was actually built in to protect people Whatever you get punished for doing, it has to fit the crime that you were committed. Now, 
It was not only protecting people from the violence of others, that is one component of it, but it is also to protect people from those who want to take justice into their own hands. This is a thing, and this is very important for us to understand. You cannot arbitrarily make the laws up as you go, as it best fits and best suits you. This is why we have a system that is supposed to be the legal or even the moral code because we can't make it up as we go because as we are sinful humans, our morality and our moral code is ever-changing and we are always redrawing in the, the sand the line of what is moral or immoral. So we need a standard, we need a code, but we also need the punishments and the, and the crimes to be equitable. So you can't do a petty crime and then be sentenced to death for it. It is supposed to be equity built into the law. Now, if we are left to be the executors of justice in our own lives, what happens quickly is that we will often view the offenses that happen to us as more intense, more harsh, thereby deserving a harsher, more gruesome punishment because we were personally offended. But I do want to be clear about this. This is something that you may not know about humanity, but this is the case about us. We crave justice. We crave it. We desire it. More so than that, though, when wrong, we crave to be righted. The desire is created in us for justice by God because justice is an attribute of who God is. Now, the disproportionate reality for many of us is that there are some people who only focus solely on the justice of God and that disproportionately affects how they believe ministry should be done. It affects what they think ministry should look like because they only focus on the justice of God. It only revolves for them around equity and pursuing justice, but it does so as a means to an end. An end that, honestly, the Bible tells us will never be completely realized here on earth. But then, on the contrary, there are those who say because justice will only be perfected when we get to eternity, that then there is no need to pursue justice on this earth at all. But to say that is also to say that because we can't be completely sinless here on earth, is to say that there is no need for us to pursue sanctification because we won't be sinless until we get to eternity. Now, I think obviously here in both cases, any attempts to create on earth what is only meant to happen in eternity are flawed and extremely dangerous. To think that we will capture complete justice on this earth is flawed. That is going to happen for us in eternity. The scales of justice will perfectly be balanced. But to also think that we turn a blind eye to the wickedness and the spiritual wickedness in high places because we know justice will not be perfected here is also to be rendered to do nothing. And we can't be rendered to either pursue perfection or to do nothing at all. 
There must be a healthy balance in how we understand justice. Now, because we are marred by sin, our desire for justice tends to be one-sided. It often is done only as it best benefits us and as it best benefits our purposes. Let's think about what Jesus is saying here. The law is given to communicate the justice of God for humanity. But we take that and we use it for our own purposes. We use it for our own gain. When we read texts like this and when we think about justice, there is this tendency within ourselves to only think of it as if we are the ones who are offended. We are the offended. We always think of justice also, though, in these polarizing terms. I was offended, and because of my offense, because I was offended, I need to have justice executed. Now, in the broader sense, in order for there to be an injustice, there must always be an offender, and there must always be the offended. But what is ironic is that whenever we find ourselves in between competing parties, they both see themselves as having some injustice done against them. You often notice that when it's a matter of justice and injustice, it is quite difficult to figure out which person, which party is the offender and which one should be the offended. And because of this, what one defines as justice or even an injustice becomes completely skewed. It becomes completely relative. It becomes completely subjective. And it becomes based on what I feel is an injustice or what I determine is justice. This was patterned for us with the social, social situations in our world recently. We have seen it very clearly in our own world. In the summer, please think about this, and I want you to think with an open mind and an open heart. In the summer, when there were people who were protesting loss of life, the detractors argued that an injustice had not happened. And the rebuttal was that it was an injustice if we decide that it was an injustice. And then a few months ago, there were people protesting the results of the presidential election. And when people told them there was no reason to protest, they said that they believed an injustice had occurred and was done against them. As with both cases, they became the executors of justice, the writers of wrongs. Eyes for eyes and teeth for teeth. In any case, though, more often than not, the thought is this. I have been wronged. Where is the justice? I have been offended. Where is the justice? But I will submit to you that we should probably think in better terms more like this. When I have wronged others and God, where was the justice? 
When Jesus says, do not resist the one who is evil, he is saying that we should not stand against, take force against the one who is evil. Do not try to be your own executor of justice. Let's look at 1 Peter and look at what he says here in 1 Peter 2 and 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Peter says that one being able to withstand abuse is entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That is, believing that God, not man, executes perfect justice. Knowing that God is just and responding this way takes incredible understanding, reasoning, and maturity. I love the perspective that Jesus takes here also in John. In John 18, 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. My kingdom is not from the world. This has for us such a broader context. But why is Jesus emphatic about not fighting back? Because while he was being mocked, while he was being abused, while he was being crucified, he did not retaliate. He was led like a lamb, like a sheep to the slaughters. He said not a word. He did not utter anything, and he was marking for us how we should withstand the abuse and the persecution that comes from this world. Look at what 1 Peter 3 and 13 says. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts... Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer by doing good, if that it should be God's will, than for doing evil. Our patience and grace and love and long-suffering in the face of injustice will ultimately be to the glory of God. One thing that we should notice is that in terms of the world, in terms of justice is that there must be equity. The world always preaches equity and equality to us. There must be equality. But Jesus gives us an even higher standard than that. He says that even in the face of abuse and violence and oppression, you must go beyond what is expected. What is expected? 
The world will always expect us to get angry, to be violent, to retaliate, but that is not what Jesus did. And to not respond in our flesh is to go beyond what is expected, but it is also to put to shame the people that are oppressing us. Jesus says that you must do what is unheard of. You must press beyond yourself and see as Jesus would see. You must think as he would think, and you must certainly act as he would act. What Jesus demonstrates for us is that through his example, to get someone together or do them like they do you is simply the work of Satan. That is what the world does. That is what Satan would do. But in the micro and in the macro, for the world, we may be seen as weak. We may be seen as passive. We may even be seen as unmotivated for change. But this is his example. This is greater than how the world views justice. His standard is far higher. Jesus, for us, executes perfect justice. But for him, it resulted in being crucified. The world's justice says this, that Jesus, the crushed, the oppressed, should have been the one who should have gotten off of the cross. And by him getting off of the cross, we should have been then placed on the cross. That is exactly what the world's definition of justice is, but that is an imperfect understanding of justice. In fact, that's fairness. Often what we have learned is that what the world is offering in terms of justice is not justice at all, but it is actually just fairness. But what we see happens in the life of Jesus is that he did not get off the cross. He knew we should have climbed up there, but he doesn't get off. He takes it. He allows the justice of God to be completed. And we know that the standard of God's justice is that he must punish sin. Now, I was having a conversation today with some kids from the school as I was teaching them about justice and I said God must must punish sin but there are times that he shows us grace and mercy and one of them said but if he must punish sin how can he show grace and mercy if you said he's obligated to punish our sin as I'm glad you said that because he will punish our sin now for the believer The reason we can get such grace and mercy and never have to suffer the punishment for our sins is because on our behalf, he punished Jesus. That is the justice of God. He must punish sin and Jesus bore it. The sins that I committed, the sins that you had committed, sins that we are committing, the sins that we will commit, he bore that reality. That's not fair, but it is just. And if we can accept justice over fairness, then we can't accept the atoning sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. 
So, can you in your life have justice and peace even when it doesn't look the way you think it should look? Can you have justice and peace even when you have to take the brunt, even when you have to appear passive or weak or unlearned or unmotivated? Can you, like Jesus did, as the mockers mocked, as the abusers abused, can you be like the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, before its detractors, and remain silent, knowing that your silence will be to the glory of God? When you think about justice in your own life, when you think about retaliation in your own life, I want you to think about this. In my response, who will be most glorified? Will it be me or will it be God? And I think if we filtered every decision we made about our anger and about oppression, about injustice in our lives, it doesn't render us powerless. It actually makes us think more strategically, but also more spiritually about how we actually respond to things that offend us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you um, one more time for the word. Um, we thank you that you have given us the reality of what justice is, God. You've given us the reality of what injustice is, and you've also given us the reality of how we are called to respond, God. We pray that the same grace and mercy and long-suffering that you have displayed, that you will allow us to display that to others, God, that when we need justice to happen, we know that if true justice would have happened for us, that we would have been on the cross, we would be damned to hell. But because you have given us the atonement, the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you have taken away our sins, God. Let us have that same mind when we want to retaliate, when we want to be the executive of justice in our own lives, having the same mind that was in Christ Jesus in us, who counted it not robbery, robbery to be equal with God, he didn't count it to be something to be grasped, but he emptied himself out and he died the death of a sinner and he humbled himself to death, even death on the cross. God, give us the same mind that is in Christ Jesus. It is in your name we pray. Amen.